0: I'm Kate Northrup.
1: And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business.
0: Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living.
1: Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Mike.
0: And this is Kate. We are really excited to be here. And... We're actually going to start off with.
1: I'm not excited to be here. No, no I'm just we kidding. Have.
0: We're gonna start off with a listener review, listener shout out, because we haven't yep. done that
1: in a while. We haven't. We haven't sat down to record in a while. Not like this. No. Which we'll talk about why. Yep. Well, for those of you who have been listening for the past couple of you weeks, you know why. You know why. Yeah. So the this is from Jess. Love wins. Jess, love wins. For those of you who've never heard a review before, if you go to iTunes and leave a review, we will read it out loud. And then if I read it out loud, which usually we read all of them out loud, we will send you something special in the mail. Special care package from the Northrop Watts household. So, Life Doing Less with Love and Purpose by Jess Love Wins. Dear Kate and Mike, thank you for the... Cont- and then it's also a challenge for Mike to read. It's a beautiful experience for everyone dear kate and mike thank you for continuing to master the art of podcasting by producing the high quality authentic and visionary offerings that i need somehow your episodes and story of your lives sync oh, here we go synchrist synchronize yeah and then ally so a-l-l-y at the end
0: oh synchronistically
1: yes beautiful thank you kate uh address my own personal journey Should be a game. Can you leave a review that Mike has to ask Kate how to pronounce it?
0: The bigger the words, the better.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Addresses my own personal journey. Often your topics and guests literally walk me through the halls of my personal pain and triumphs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. With love and gratitude, Jessica.
0: Wow. What a beautiful review.
1: Yeah, that was beautiful. Jessica, if you message me or you can email me at, at com or message me on Instagram mikejwatts and with your mailing address and I will be happy to place a gift in the mail for you.
0: Amazing. Thanks for leaving a review. Anyone else who wants to leave a review, head over to iTunes, leave a review, like, subscribe. You can't like podcasts. Subscribe. <laughs> and uh, we would be so appreciative because that means more people get the healing or inspiration or strategies that they need through the show. Okay, so the reason that we have not recorded a new episode in a while is because of the intensity of the racial discussion that has been occurring in the United States. And both Mike and I have been engaged in our own anti-racism work and our own unraveling of internal and external white supremacy for quite a while now and we felt like we needed to turn attention to that conversation. And then last week, we put out the episode that we had recorded before the intensity intensified. And now we're coming back to the race conversation. But from a perspective of we are not anti-racism experts, this is not a workshop. This is not about how to be an ally, this is not, we're not teaching this work. Today we are sharing about our own journeys and we'll talk about books we're reading, teachers we're learning from, steps we're taking, personal reflections. But this is just a behind the scenes look at two white people doing our best to do the work.
1: Correct. Yes.
0: I am sure we will say something the wrong way. I am sure we will screw something up. I am sure there are things that we are doing that some people would think are great and that some people think aren't right. I'm sure of all of it. And so we are here in the words of the great Erica Hines. We are here, humble and ready to fumble. (laughs) 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 Please follow her at Diva Hines on Instagram. She's a powerhouse.
1: All right. Is she still working with the Attaway group?
0: I do not know. Oh, Actually. Yeah. We took a course with her that was with the Attaway Group, Desiree Attaway, Jessica Fish, and Erica Hines taught it a couple of summers ago called Diversity is an Asset. And we took it with our company and with a bunch of members of Origin, and it was powerful. Yes. And they are doing, I know Desiree, at least, the, the Attaway Group is doing monthly free webinars called Whiteness at Work. And you went on the last one. Can you tell the stats? I thought that was pretty amazing.
1: I don't have the exact ones memorized, but I can approximate. I don't want to look it up right now, but I can just give you the approximate numbers. And you can go, I think, on Desiree's... It'll be linked in the Desiree show. Attaway's Instagram page. And yeah, Matt, I can just send you the exact post.
0: Yeah. But if you go to the com, it'll be there too.
1: Yep. So, I was on their webinar and then I signed up. They have a four-parter they have training that you can go through. They're spaced out every two weeks. So, the second one's coming up next week and then the third one, etc. But... They had, I think, 16,000, if I remember correctly, they had a webinar capacity of 5,000 people, which they filled up in the first few minutes. That means, for those of you who don't know what that means, and they had 16,000 people that registered for the webinar. So, there were 16,000 people that registered, 5,000 were able to watch live because the webinar room filled up. And last year, a year ago when they did this, they had 800 people I think, registered or live, but the numbers were so much smaller, basically. And I can't remember the exact amount. I think it was like a 1,000 people or 1,600 people registered and 800 were live, something along those lines. But yeah, it was incredible to be there and just listen to them teach. Like I was learning more things. It was a good... Builder on what we were taught a couple... Well, that was two years ago, I guess? 2018 we went was through the that? the summer of 2018. Yeah. So, two years ago when we first took their classes and it was a good reminder for a lot of things. But yeah.
0: So, obviously, more people than ever are waking up and ready to be part of the conversation around race.
1: What do you mean... So, I guess let's define what you mean by saying waking up.
0: Waking up to... I think I think it's on multiple levels depending on who you are. Yes. Waking up to the fact that white supremacy exists, waking up to the different ways that oppression works in our bodies as black and white and people of color people waking up to how they may have been unintentionally part of the problem, waking up to like what a big deal race is for all of us it lives in all of our bodies and i was just on a training with milagros phillips who is a racial literacy expert and has been doing this work for 30 years she is so beautiful and a total angel and the minute we spoke on the phone i was just like i love this woman (laughs) so deeply (laughs) and she came and did a training with origin if you're an origin member That training is available in the members area. It's going to be a limited time. That training is going to expire. So go listen to it. She did a training on healing racial trauma and how we can actually heal. And one of the things that she said that just struck me is that most of the conversation around race is focused on the interpersonal aspect of oppression, So the overtly racist things that people do and the microaggressions. So, you know, I don't need to list what these things are. You know what they are. And there are three other layers of oppression, however, that are incredibly important. One is institutionalized. So that has to do with the laws that are passed to uphold racism. If you watch the film 13th by Ava mm-hmm. Deverney. We watched that over the weekend, last weekend, and it's about the criminal justice system. And that is a really blatant example of institutionalized racism. Then there's systemic. So there's the systems that then are built to uphold the institution of racism and oppression. Then there's internalized oppression. And this is work that I learned from Ra Goddess, and I also learned from Milagros Phillips. So, just to source, you know, and I'm sure there are so many other places that you can learn about it, but these are the two people I've learned it from. And then, so then there's internalized oppression, and it's different, obviously, for a black person versus a white person versus a person of color who's a non black person. And then there is interpersonal. And she quoted Milagros, quoted Henry David Thoreau, which is basically for every, you know, hundred people chopping at the branches, there's only ever one chopping at the root. And a lot of the conversation about race in America certainly is about the branches, which is only addressing one of those things, only addressing institutionalized racism, only systemic or only interpersonal, right? So that's why a lot of white people, for example, I think will be like, think it doesn't have to do with them because they're like, well, I'm not overtly racist. So this doesn't Mm -hmm. apply to me. Right. And I thought that for a very long time, (laughs) personally, you know, I, I remember when we listened to Rachel Cargill's, we re listened to Rachel Cargill's episode of the podcast. There was a moment, one of the cringeworthy moments, we published it anyway in the spirit of show up for the conversation imperfectly because not showing up for it because we're afraid of being perfect is part of the problem. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm putting we are redirecting your attention to this, even though some of it is painful. And one of the things I talked about in that episode is that we live in a primarily white town. Right. It's like 98 Mm percent white. And I think that there was I heard in my voice sort of this discounting of like, well, you know, there are just white people here. So this really only applies to my online life. And then two weeks ago, I attended an event that happened on the town green here where we live in this small town in Maine that was organized by a group of recently graduated high school kids and one mother spoke one woman in our community who I've known for years she's a black woman and she has a black son and then two black young men who have graduated from you know who've graduated from high school but went to high school here spoke and then the chief of police spoke and there were some different speakers. And what really struck me was, okay, so we live in the town that I grew up in. And what really struck me was I grew up here hearing these black kids share their experience of growing up here. I grew up here thinking racism didn't exist in my town because it's primarily white people. Hmm. Because no one, like, and I take responsibility for that fact, right? Like. It wasn't talked about. It was like, oh, if you live in a white area, it doesn't apply to you was kind of the mentality and listening to myself say it was I didn't say that on the Rachel Cargill episode, right. but I could hear an element where there was that was still part of the way I was thinking two
1: years ago. Right. And it's like you're your way out. Like it's the...
0: It's almost like, her. yeah, well, this doesn't apply to me because everyone right. around me looks like me. Correct. And it applies... In in many ways, it applies even more in yes. certain ways, yeah. right? And, and just hearing these kids' stories was pretty heartbreaking. And there was a lot of grief that came up around, wow, this town raised me. And it, in many ways, it was wonderful and beautiful. And in many ways, I was lied to. And that is a reckoning, I think, that a lot of us are experiencing right now of like, I didn't learn the truth at school. My parents didn't talk to me about this. Like, we didn't talk about it. How is that possible that it is, it runs so deeply in our society and we didn't talk about it, especially in a household like mine that was like, quote unquote, really progressive. (laughs) You know, we talked about a lot of things that most people don't talk about, but we didn't talk about race. And you know, and and I don't need to get into that, right? Like I'm not faulting my parents. I'm just committed to doing better. And so anyway, the reason I bring all of that up now, I've gotten off on a tangent and I don't remember, but basically Milagros was saying that in order to heal, we have to address all four institutionalized, systemic, internalized, and interpersonal. So just what I'm internalized, internalized and then interpersonal interpersonal. So a lot of the conversation is focused just on interpersonal. And so if you're listening and you're like, Oh, I see. So when I talk to my uncle Bobby, (laughs) you know, and he's just like, doesn't want to be part of the conversation. It might be because he doesn't understand all of the four layers. And he's only thinking about interpersonal. And he's like, I have black friends. Like, what are you right. talking about? This doesn't apply to me. So anyway, I just wanted to say like, welcome. This applies to all of us. Yeah. And here we are.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah.
0: I have so much I could say, but like I could just talk for an hour by myself and I would like to hear what you have to say.
1: I mean, I didn't grow up in Yarmouth, right? But I grew up in a town that was, it's bigger than Yarmouth, but it, demographics are probably pretty darn close to the same. And we had a men's group meeting. I'm part of this men's group that we meet online every two weeks. And through this work I did with these teachings, I took through main voice to men, this local charity here. And they help other, they help like high school, middle school, elementary school students understand about like abuse. You know, it's like abuse that takes place in the households and treating women better and treating humans better. So, The question came up was like, what have you said in your past or done? Like one of the guys was sharing a story about something he said to a black kid when he was in school and how he he was friends with them. And then after he said this thing, and it was kind of a, it was joking around, but the black guy like basically got up and left, you know? And so it opened up this conversation. There was four of us on this call and it opened up this conversation about like, wow, you know, all of these things that we used to say or do when we didn't realize the impact that they have on people, right? And what that looks like, you know, it's now. And there was a lot of things when I was a teenager or younger that were said or that I did, which I would never do now. I don't know. I think it was just part of the culture that was happening around me. And I wasn't aware of what was going on because we. I don't recall having these type of conversations in our house either growing up. So... And then you look at it from a systemic perspective, you know, just like I worked at Philip Morris. And then, you know, my dad for his whole life has worked in the oil business. And like, how are those institutions, because this is something we've been looking at for a while, just from the company standpoints, you know, business standpoints and corruption. And then you also have this how, because you can watch a lot of documentaries. There's a great Netflix series that I watched just on the Trump family. And to learn about his grandfather and his father and how they were, you know, they held up living quarters. If you were not a white person, you weren't allowed to, like, everything was full. But a white person would apply and they could get in. And it was just understanding how all of these systems were built that are not for everyone, or it's not created equal. There was always been these walls that have balanced up. So, yeah, it's been a eye-opening You know even more peeling back layers because this is something we've been paying attention to and i've been trying to educate myself on this for a number of years now and but yeah even now just like peeling back more layers to realize how there's so much that needs because it's not just like it's me but it's in it's like passed down in my dna and that in like the family dynamics that have existed before I was here. That's part of the
0: internalized.
1: The internalized stuff. Trauma. And understanding that stuff that it's like that doesn't get passed anymore to our kids. Yeah. You know, and like how do we stop that today? Right. Right.
0: So I was at an event and the speaker was talking about race. It was a small event. And the way she described the history It wasn't new information but there was a nuance that i could hear it for the first time in a way and in that room i was with a jewish woman who's married to a black man and she has mixed kids and i was with a turkish woman who's first generation and the woman who was speaking was black and what really struck me as i was listening was the people who perpetrated this are my ancestors Mm -hmm. I am the only person sitting in this room. Now, of course, there are layers, right? There is a history. There was a history of slavery in Europe. There's different layers here. So I'm not trying. I'm this is a bit of an oversimplification of a, a very intense history that we have as the human race. But I was aware in that moment out of the people sitting in this room, like having inflicted this trauma on other people is my ancestors fault. So now here I am in 2020. Okay, so that's true. Like, that's just true. If I go on myancestry.com, like my people were some of the first people to come, first European people to show up on this land. And I'm sure that there's, you know, I'm sure that they inflicted all kinds of things on indigenous people. And then I'm sure they were definitely part of the slave trade. So that's intense to sit with. And I was listening to an incredible podcast featuring Anasa Troutman Troutman, on the Commune podcast with Jeff Krasnow this morning. I highly recommend this podcast episode. And she talked about, as a Black woman, the moment when she came to understand the intensity of the grief that also white people can hold in our bodies of the horror that our people did this to us Mm -hmm. did this to To other other people people. to other people and i put two things together in that moment listening which is that i think that a huge part of the reason probably that white people don't want to talk about race is that our culture has not taught us how to feel and we haven't we don't have space we don't have we haven't built capacity to hold shadow and to hold discomfort and to feel feelings that are deeply uncomfortable. And so we avoid, right? We stay in denial. We deflect, we deflect with all kinds of things, gaslighting and, you know, talk about reverse racism and bullshit and just like all sorts of different things that we do. And, you know, white fragility is a whole conversation and everything. But what struck me as somebody who I know that being the oppressor is my primary lineage as a woman who's so committed to dismantling that it's grappling with internally, like, okay, that's my heritage how do i change that in this lifetime how mm-hmm. do how do i change that so that my girls are not carrying that forward so that i'm not carrying it forward through silence or unconsciously continuing behavior that's harmful and then how do we talk to our girls about it so that you know it ends with our generation and i don't know if you've heard listening, this concept that when we heal something within us, we heal it seven generations back and seven generations forward. I am by no means saying that me healing something within me erases our country's history, but I do believe there is something really powerful there in lineage. And so for anybody else who's avoiding the conversation because of the tremendous guilt and shame that lives in their body, I just want to be a voice to say that guilt and shame lives in my body, too. And I think it's really important that we feel it. Now, it's not important that we share about it on social media. It's not important that we talk to black people about it. It is not important yeah, that we ask, the, right? Like, I just really want to be clear. There's a time and place, and that is not it.
1: So, so, right? Like, be, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't find that. Yeah. A, okay. Don't go up to a random black person on the street and be like, can I talk to you? Or about even this a until, friend. Yeah, even a friend. Nope. Anyone. Like it's just, it's just, just you, totally it's like, inappropriate. Yeah. It's taking and harmful. It's crossing, Yes.
0: However, those it, feelings are real. Yes. And so they actually need to be felt because what i realized is at the beginning of my anti-racism journey i was fueled by shame and guilt and i could hear it in the episode with rachel cargill Hmm. and i know it's in a lot of our podcast episodes yeah i it's still in there talking about it makes me want to cry and that's okay like that's good right however i'm aware that today that is no longer my fuel My primary fuel is the desire for liberation on the planet. Yes, Black liberation, and also the degree to which my liberation is absolutely tied up in another human's liberation. Like, none of us can be free until we're all free. Whoever said that, I can't remember the quote, (laughs) the person's name, but it's so true. Like, we are all so, so, so connected. So the way in which we divide by saying, like, for example, somebody might say, oh, they may be like really coming from a beautiful place. And then we get into the intent versus impact conversation. But basically, like somebody might say, oh, this is happening to your community, right? Like they might be calling attention to an issue, perhaps the disconnect and the inequality in the maternal health care system, for example, right? So Black mothers are significantly more likely to die and be mistreated in childbirth in the maternity care system, even educated, you know, like high net worth individuals. And so somebody might say, oh, this is a problem that's happening in your community, right? Like maybe a supposedly good hearted white person might be talking about it that way. And I was brought to the realization by a wonderful woman named Courtney Allen Gentry, who is, I think her Instagram handle is at black nurse leader, black nurse leader, Courtney Allen Gentry highlighted for me in a conversation, the realization that any amount of othering we do like saying, Oh, that's happening in your community, like to your people separates us. And it helped me to realize like just these nuances of, Oh, like yes. Saying we're all one human race and we need to go for unity and love can be spiritually bypassing and avoiding the discomfort. Of dealing with our racial history and also for me personally switching from shame and guilt to fueling from love and liberation and knowing that our humanity is all interconnected like we are a human family that has been incredibly profound because it's helped me to stop othering mm-hmm does that make sense
1: yes it's like when you're binge eating something <laughs> Okay. This is... Stay with me here, people. When you're binge eating something, the uncomfortable thing to do is to stop binge eating and check in with yourself about why am I binge eating right now? Like what feelings am I feeling at this moment? So, when we say like, oh, New York has this issue, but we don't have it in Maine. Right. It's like oh, I can just pass it off to someone else. Totally. Instead of being like, oh, crap.
0: It's another like, way we avoid.
1: This is a problem here as well. Even though, like, New York might have a way more black people than in the state of Maine. It's like, it's not a problem here. So, New York needs to fix their problem or their issue. And it's like, nope. No. We're like, we're pushing it off on someone else that we don't have to. And then we also saddle up with people that allow us not to feel the discomfort or the uncomfortableness of the situation to help ourselves as well. So, I heard this guy, he's actually from Gary, Indiana, which was 30 minutes away from me. Matt, you can ask me for this video. I'll link it up. I can't remember his name, but he's on Instagram. And he did a video about this video that was going around about Candace Owens and this video had a hundred million views on it. And I'm not going to dive into this, but basically he just said like Candace white people are and Candace Owens is a black woman. And she was explaining some stuff about the George Floyd murder and her views on it. And he just said, white people are just agreeing with you. And then they don't have to do any of the work themselves because they found the one black person who is, it's like the scapegoat where they don't have to deal with their own discomfort and issues. So it's to think about when we feel our brains in this process or our bodies like going into a different space to be like, oh, well, I see everyone's equal or I treat everyone equal. It really the surface answer, as, uh, as that sign that was going viral or somebody was, no, it wasn't the sign. It was somebody else about like if... You break your leg, right? Like it was the all lives matter versus black lives matter discussion. If you break your leg or your arm, let's just say your arm, for instance, you don't go, oh, my whole body's fine. No, you you
0: don't say the rest of my body needs attention.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. The rest of my body needs attention. No, you're going to focus all of your attention on your left arm. And so in this circumstance right now, it's our black family and our black community that needs that attention and for us to learn you know, and for us to help this process of healing the global planet. So, yes, it does make sense what you're saying and I mean, how easy it is to push. It's the same with like, I know we're just talking about race race in this situation, but it's the same with like women's working in our company, right? Or just not our company, but like if you work in a company where there's one woman in your company, you'd be like, oh, we're diverse. We got a woman. It's fine.
0: Right. Trying to check a box right. as opposed to heal. Correct. Healing is not a box that's checked. Healing is incredibly inconvenient. (laughs) And it takes a while. Yeah. Right? Like it takes as long as it takes. And Milagros said today on the training, nature loves diversity. And going back to what we always talk about here, which is that the earth and our bodies and the cosmos have the greatest guidance for us for how to live. How to live well, how to live sustainably, how to live healthily. That's why I love Adrienne Marie Brown's book, Emergent Strategy, so much, because it is all about biomimicry, looking to the natural world for solutions to our human problems. Because, hello, newsflash, we are the natural world. Mm -hmm. We are animals. So... Looking at our biology, looking at the way the earth works. Nature loves diversity. Nature thrives on diversity. Dr. Zach Bush, our collective man crush, <laughs> or our, our couple man crush, who <laughs> will hopefully be on the podcast yeah. soon. Hopefully, maybe Milagros will come on the podcast. But well, there's so many, so many incredible people
1: to introduce you to. But people are it's people are fascinating. I mean, humanity is. Unbelievable.
0: And just people who think differently. I just literally, I could just sit at their fountain and just drink for the rest of my life. Like I really, you know, maybe someday we'll shut down the company and I'll just read all day. Like (laughs) honestly, in my heart of hearts, like that would be so dreamy. Like I just want to hear what people have to think. And then, you know, that's it.
1: (laughs) I have been saying since i was like a teenager that i wanted to retire by the time i'm 40 so that's three years okay we just got to work for three three years and then we can just read all day
0: i'm open to this conversation um (laughs) (laughs) i'm open to this conversation to be continued on future episodes but basically zach bush talks about breathing your biome and the Mm -hmm. importance of biodiversity in your microbiome and actually being in different ecosystems. So going to the woods, going to a swamp, being in a, in a field of wildflowers, going to the ocean, how important that actually is for our own internal health, for our microbiome, which is like the heartbeat of our health physically. So if we look at that and take it as a metaphor for society, I really like one of the conversations Mike and I are currently having in real time is we do not live in a diverse place. And as people who are so committed to the diversity of ideas and experiences and cultures, like I feel like our metaphorical microbiome is suffering because of that very reason. Like I went to Brown and I was in a West African dance company. I was in a Latin dance company. I didn't think about it from a perspective of diversity, but like I had just like that environment was so beautifully diverse, all the backgrounds, Mm -hmm. the countries, the colors. And then I lived in New York city, same thing, like friends from all over the world, all different experiences, all different races, all different gender expressions and sexuality. And then, you know, I moved to fricking Maine and Portland actually is pretty diverse, but like I don't know. I think my microbiome is suffering.
1: Well, I just remember going to, and we've lived in Portland and I don't have a desire to really live back there, you know, but I just remember in December when we took that trip to Miami, just the two of us, and we walked down the street. What was that neighborhood called? Wynwood. Wynwood. And with all the art, the graffiti, or I guess, the, you know, the street artists and yeah, I guess street artists is a better name than graffiti. I think Graffiti so too. is probably a systemized oppression standpoint that you're doing anyway i'm sure there's something there uh, but it it's at- like the street art that we're walking around and it was like i could feel the talk case just talking about being in nature right like if you're walking down the street versus walking in the woods like you're feeling is much different i just went on a walk in the woods and i laid on a bench and bugs kept eating me so i left but the <laughs> but i'm just walking in the streets of miami and just like It was amazing. Like the feeling of being like this, we're missing this. It's no, it's like when you eat a new fresh strawberry in the summer and you're like, oh my God, I've been waiting all year for this and I'm missing this. An apple off your local apple tree is much different than an apple that comes from Peru. Right. And like that feeling and the energy that's there. It's no shade meant for Peru. Yeah, nothing wrong with Peru. <laughs> it's just about the just, amount of time really, that it takes for the apple to yeah, get it's really far. Like, for an apple, I can go in summer in Maine and get an apple off a tree five minutes away versus Peru. You know, it's far. In the fall. Yeah, yeah. Apples against, are a fall harvest. Nothing against the Peruvians. Oh, look at me busting out some big words. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean,
0: I think we could debate that Peruvians... <laughs>
1: justifies a big word (laughs) for mike watts yep that's it. that's why i shortened my name from michael to mike (laughs) because it's only four letters good job yeah thanks mom and dad anyway so yeah it's true like to feel that the energy and the vibrance like i just
0: felt so alive walking around in miami and and just like this yeah it's the sameness
1: it's why tyler perry it he has a great hit tyler perry's like a movie mogul built like a 300 acre movie. studio. it's why he built his own movie studio in Atlanta and not Hollywood. Cause he was like, people that watch my movies are not in Hollywood. Nothing's over there for me. I'm building it in my home and where my people are to, and this is where I'm going to create my business and his empire.
0: Yeah. And actually, that's a bit of a corollary point to what we're talking about because I think for I'll oh, just yes. speak, I'll just, <laughs> but it's great. But, like, yes. whatever you need to do, for we are again, this podcast episode is not about what you need to do. It's not education in any no. way. We're just pulling back the curtain, having a real conversation about our own journey, talking about feeling and doing something about race. So, but interestingly enough, I think for us, we live in an area where it's like everyone, not everyone, many people look like us. Mm-hmm. And many people, I don't know that many people think like us. We're definitely no, outliers. definitely not. <laughs> We're always going to be the out, the diver- we add diversity in terms of thought and belief systems, but optically, right? We are we, the outliers. We of blend thought. in yes. optically. Yes. And we are in this conversation about what do we really want for our kids? What do we really want for our lifestyle? And if we are truly like wanting to embrace diversity and, you know, I long ago unwhitewashed my Instagram feed, for example, mm-hmm. and I knew that I had reached a tipping point with that when uh, the away ads for the suitcases starting showing up featuring black women and I was getting black hair product ads in my Instagram feed. So that's how I knew
1: mm, that hasn't happened to me yet.
0: Okay, well, you never know.
1: (laughs) Well, they can see I'm bald, so they... (laughs)
0: But, you know, it's like, okay, there's the online, but what I'm personally feeling is, yeah, and there's books, right? And there's all my online friends, but it's a very different thing than,
1: you know, looking at
0: nature loves diversity and there's something I feel physically missing. And this is the degree to which our liberation is intertwined. Because the health of our society depends on diversity. So these neighborhoods, these towns, these all white areas, or even I I cannot speak to all black areas because I don't, that's not my area. But like, I know for me and for me personally as a woman and for our family, it's not optimal. I do not feel that it's optimal for, you know, and so when when I think about Zach Bush and I just think about breathing your biome and the importance of biodiversity, I just really think about hu- the human race and and the fact that we are animals and like the need for that kind of diversity as well. Diversity of spirit, diversity of thought, diversity of culture, diversity of color, all of it just like so important. And anyway, I don't really have anything much else to say on that, but if you have suggestions of places we could live, um, you know, <laughs> Let okay. us know. Doesn't mean we're moving for friends in Maine who might be listening or for my mother. It doesn't mean we're moving, and but it mother, might mean yeah. we're moving. I don't know. And Michelle, I'm so sorry. We're probably not moving to Indiana. <laughs> definitely not
1: moving to Indiana, Mom. Sorry.
0: <laughs> it's, I, I, for me, ocean is definitely like a mm-hmm. priority. So there's a lot of places we could move. I just feel like I'm not fully accessing all of me if I'm not by the ocean. I feel trapped. So, right. that's something for me.
1: And if you kind of feel this way, I mean, it's, we also are coming out of a stage of life where it's been caretaking for babies yes. for the last four years. So, like, we're seeing an end to... We are
0: on the precipice. Our bi-
1: own, you know, done with our own biological children. getting Ruby out children. of diapers. Yes. Thank God. She's almost ready. I walked by our neighbor's house. I'm not going to mention names here, but they have a three-year-old, I think, who's potty training. And... I was driving by and she was nature peeing (laughs) just in the front yard. So great.
0: Our girls do a lot of nature pees. There's a lot of nature pees. Ruby will do the nature pees if the other, if Penelope's doing the nature pees or our friends.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. I love the nature pees. Yeah,
0: Mike and I are in a little, I I am trying to not be in a controlling place around potty training. I'm doing an okay job, but we're going on vacation in a week and a half. And we only have three packs of diapers left in the house. It's on.
1: <laughs> I support your decisions Thank as long you, as it honey. remains sane.
0: I will remain sane. Um, I've done a lot of healing in this area
1: yeah. around my control around. Just you're on children. duty for this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm not working that week. So I why know. am I am just, well just,
1: just letting you know? Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. We're super off track. Yeah. But do you want to talk about Mike? Just, you know, what's your relationship? I talked about my relationship with shame and guilt as it applies to race and white privilege specifically. What are your thoughts on that? I mean,
1: you link this back to like the last four years. I live in a constant state of shame and guilt. You know, it's like the, I'm kind of serious and somewhat joking. And I I feel like after talking to men, you know, I've been kind of interacting with more men lately. And it's something that I've noticed where there's a lot of because I have am the face of like the patriarchy the white straight male right not me personally but like our I, g- gender identification is that correct though? you
0: have cisgender the privilege you yes. have heterosexual privilege you have white privilege and you have
1: male privilege right
0: you have the All. quadruple yes crown so
1: a lot also of... able-bodied privilege yep and able-bodied yep so the quintet I mean, a lot of this stuff goes back for me as starting looking at this for a, a long time ago, you know, cause I w- worked in North Carolina. I moved from Indiana, a small town Valparaiso, Indiana, which was not that diverse to going to school at Purdue. And then from Purdue worked in North Carolina, the majority of my staff was probably 50, 50 split between, yeah, being black and then also being white, you know, or people of color in, in our factory. And then, you know, moving to Arizona, And the diversity out there is much different than North Carolina. And then we, you know, we traveled a lot, but I think a big awareness for me, and I kind of just operated in the world, right? I just operated with my privilege that existed, that was internalized, that I didn't recognize, I would say at that point, because I wasn't so aware of it, how I was able to get internships. And, you know, I just thought it was hard work and hustle, a lot of it, because I did. I was, I was very persistent. I worked hard and I hustled. And I thought that was what gave me a leg up in a lot of things that I ended up doing. And then I'm realizing about, and I've been paying attention to a lot of this systematic and corporate and business racism that exists, but also just corruption, right? Like I've been talking to you for years about like the privatized prison systems and- No, I knew about it. You know, and it's just like the awareness of what's there and realizing like, but then it's also like, what do you, like, how do we start? What do we do with all those things? So anyway, it, it's like, and then when we started traveling in the car, and I was around women constantly, and just listening to people's experiences and what they were going through, and like business struggles, and you know, and us doing this podcast and us running this business together, it started just from a just a, from a gender male female standpoint and then realizing in like listening to politicians like when hillary clinton was running for president or the clintons were running for president it's like gay people you know if you're not a male female you should be able to get married and like just all these different dynamics that i started paying attention to and realizing that they were wrong and like how do we go about changing that so then in 2000 when the me too movement really kicked off i started thinking about how i lived my life for a long time and it was like what happened in those times that i don't remember a lot because there were so much drugs and alcohol and i did get arrested twice i did you know was in i didn't go to prison or jail but i was in a holding cell for up to 12 hours and then i had to go to court and do all that stuff you know it's like and you were able to get
0: out because you had a friend's dad who was a cop
1: that was one circumstance and, and the other? other circumstance was i was there for 12 hours and the first time did was you have to post bail? No, you, you, when you like get a DUI, you just sit for 12 hours and okay. then you kind of calm down and somebody, you know, you, 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 you're not supposed to be intoxicated by the time right. you leave. Okay. And then you walk out. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. then, but because I didn't like have to post bail or go to jail or serve any time or anything like this from those two circumstances, cause I could afford it. Right. Like I could pay the money. I did the hours that I was supposed to do, you know, for community service, stuff like that. So, I just followed through what my requirements were. So, I guess you could say I served my time that I was supposed to be served in that well. As a white guy. Yeah, as a white guy. Yep. But then there was a lot of other times where I would have if I probably, you know, we were watching 13th and I said to you, I was like, if I was a black guy, I wouldn't be sitting here right now and I'd probably be in jail. Because, like, the cops would show up to our house in college and, like, they would break up parties sometimes. Not too often, but, like, just the experience of... Cops showed up one time and we had an incense thing burning and the cop was like, are you smoking weed? And we're like, no, but I just came home with a pound of pot in my car that I moved into my room. So, like, if the search warrant would have happened there, I would have got arrested for that, you know, and getting pulled over in, circum- you know, different circumstances with friends. Like, there was a lot of time. So, anyway, back to your original question. Like, there was this recognizing how much privilege I actually had created some guilt and shame in my system to be like what do I do about this? I don't understand. And it's like, well, what should I do? How should I, you know, and then we, it's it's just like, I just am processing these emotions over time. Like the reality is I'm a white male and I will die a white male, right? No. So, it's like to recognizing what's there and then also saying like, how can I help other people with understanding the privilege that I'm born with, right? and in this country and and recognizing our history and so yeah I've gone through a lot of these ups and downs and emotion emotions for it it's not necessary for me to express this process on social media to me it makes no sense what I do on the social media sense like it's just wrong to be like for me to go out there and teach Like it's not just to tell people what to do like I'm just sharing my journey in this process of learning about this and then You know, and then with this podcast, I started reading a lot more books that were more diverse than what I was previously reading about before and just learning from that standpoint and just understanding what other people's experiences are. And I would say that's where, for me, that's been the most beneficial is just like really listening to other people's experiences and what they're going through and sitting with the uncomfortable feelings that I feel. Yeah. To be like, oh shit, I feel...
0: When I think listening without defense, there's a great quote from A Course in Miracles, in my defenselessness, my salvation lies. And I think about that quote all the time. Because if we really want to be saved as a human race, and we need it, Mm -hmm. we have to put down our defenses. We have to allow ourselves to turn into a puddle. We have to allow ourselves to go into the depth. Of how much it hurts so that we can come out the other side. Because the more we try to stuff it down, that comes out sideways as violence. You know, and and if we're not willing to look at our own trauma and heal our own traumatic patterns, Milagros Phillips said, traumatize people, traumatize people. Mm-hmm. You know, same as hurt people, hurt people. But I think that like the trauma aspect and the knowing that we all hold trauma in our bodies. When she spoke that today, I just realized like trauma healing is one of the most powerful tools we could possibly access to liberate ourselves and humanity and and to resist. Right. Because she also talked about the way that traumatizing people destabilizes them. And when you have a destabilized group of people, you can control them. And so when we begin to do our own trauma healing, we can no longer be destabilized, and then we can take back our power and we can't be controlled anymore. And then we can really like be in love and peace and liberation in a way that we cannot if we're living out our trauma over and over again. And a lot of the conversations that I witness on social media around race are coming from a deep place of unhealed trauma on all sides. Mm-hmm. Mm. yes. And so I just know for myself, like the work I'm committed to to heal my own trauma patterns is really important work. And I would highly recommend it to anyone to go and do that work. And just basic talk therapy is not trauma healing work. Right. So there's so many resources to learn more about that. But I also wanted to say around shame and guilt and what you were sharing. Yeah, I've, oh, Can I, think, I add yeah. on to that
1: before you? And also I'm a dude, right? Like we are taught at a very young age that... You're acting like, quote unquote, a girl is weakness, right? Like that, that's a lot of a common thing that men or boys are told is stop acting like a girl. And then there's other ways to say it, but it basically comes down to stop expressing your feelings. So as a man, you're already starting at a young age and it starts like now there's all this research coming out, even about circumcision. And it's already out there that when you're chopping off the tip of a penis, that you're not just chopping off this random extra skin. You know, there's a whole body. What's that website? Whole body. It's an Instagram account that talks all about this. You keep talking. I'll find it. And it it just talks about how, boys, you're starting off your first week in life with your... (laughs) I said this on Instagram and I'll say it again. You're cutting... Like doctors are cutting off baby dicks. Right. And right there, you're being told that you are not whole. dot org, And they also have a great Instagram account. So as a man, you're already told that feeling is wrong. And so when we go and we do because things... Because like,
0: the foreskin is the most sensitive area of the penis. So you right. are actually cutting off... The most sensitive area of a man's body at birth.
1: At birth. And now there is women mutilation. So genital mutilation. So I'm not going to overlook that whatsoever. That is real. That is happening in the state of Maine. That is happening in the United States. That is happening across the world. But just the rampantness that exists with playing, it's like men's penises, right? And so then you're all, the first week of birth, we've experienced traumatic trauma, that has happened to our body, traumatic trauma. Double, double. Sorry, it's do traumatic trauma squared. Squared. Let's. We're not going to do double. We're square it. So it's the. But like, and then we grow up where we look at, for instance, like look at the situation we're currently in present moment we have a guy named donald trump in power surrounded by people that are supporting him that are quote-unquote loyalist to him that will do everything he does and he out he is out of control traumatic to the planet but if i watch him through like if i watch him to say all right i need how do i get to his position i treat everybody like crap and i show power and having power is what I have to do to get to the top. It's what I have to do to get to success. And so when you're witnessing this at a young age, we're taught so much as boys, it's like power and dominance. And that's how you're going to get to the top. And you see it and you pay attention to stock numbers and you got the fancy suits and the fancy watches and the fancy cars. And that is your true definition of success. So you have all of that on top of. Absolutely. Yep.
0: Circling back before we wrap up here on the guilt and shame aspect. Soon after having that realization, sitting in that small room of women, knowing that my ancestors were the perpetrators Mm -hmm. of 400 years of oppression in this country. I had a good couple of months that I was like, I shouldn't have anything I have. Because I also come from, I come from money. Mm -hmm. On my dad's side, there's a whole generational wealth situation and there's also that. And that's all tied up in white supremacy, right? And so it's not like I had a trust fund, but like there's just, there's anyway, there's there's guilt and shame about my class privilege stuff, right? So I'm sitting with for a couple of months like this, this feeling of I don't deserve anything I have. I shouldn't make any money given that i didn't earn any of this i should have nothing and suffer was basically like i was just mm-hmm. in that place and i know i am not the only person who has gotten to that place i think it's like part of the journey right so i don't i don't think i'm wrong or anything it's just i was feeling that and and i didn't know how to navigate it and then i shared the story on our podcast but i didn't share this part of the story so Then Mike and I were in that little town in Maine having dinner on a foggy Monday night and ran into Oprah, which was weird (laughs) and amazing. And as I sat there, like thanking her for the impact that she had on, you know, for the support that she gave my mom and for the ways that that impacted my life. Here I am talking to by far the most powerful black woman in the world by far one of the most powerful women in the world, if not the most powerful women in the world, people, not even people. Yeah. Just top powerful people in the world. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about like the fact that my mom was on Oprah so many times sold a lot of her books that paid for my college education that paid for, you know, that was like a huge part of my own privilege Right now there's white privilege, but then there's class privilege and they're two separate things. Sometimes somebody has both Mm -hmm. of them. I happen to have both of them and I'm sitting there talking to Oprah and in that evening, I was just like, wait a second. We're all connected. Like my mom's book helped Oprah when she was going through menopause and then she brought her to her audience and that helped I'm sure millions of people. And then my mom was able to pay for my college education. And then, you know, and then now here we are doing this work. And then I'm able to work with, you know, we're able to work with Raw right, and support her business. And she's a black woman. And like, just this whole realization I had of like, okay my shame and guilt and deciding that I don't deserve to have anything and that I need to suffer for the rest of my life because of what my ancestors did. That is not helping. That right. is not helping. And it took me standing face to face with Oprah, thanking her for the impact she's had on my life very personally to realize, like, like me suffering is not going to help the world, right? Right. It was so profound. So it helped me, you know, maybe I'm like a slow learner and I needed to be slammed over the head. So God or goddess, like, brought Oprah to Maine <laughs> counter or like told us to go to that particular restaurant, which was so random. But for anybody who may have shreds of feeling like we need to repent in some way, I just, at least for me today, I don't think that the energy of repentance is the most powerful energy we could tap into to be part of the solution. At least for me today, that's what I'm choosing. I'm choosing to move from a place of, Love and liberation and collective healing and peace as opposed to shame and guilt. Because I don't think staying in shame and guilt. Now, yes, am I doing things to process those feelings? For sure. Because I'm not trying to avoid them. But I know that they don't make good sustainable fuel.
1: Right. It's part of, in Desiree's, in their work, uh, Whiteness at Work, they said the first step is awareness. And so then you move through these other three steps that I can't remember. I wrote them down on a piece of paper, but it's at my office. And you can just buy their courses and you'll figure it out. Yeah, and just be becoming aware. And a lot of these feelings come up in that process of the awareness phase. And it's like you're discovering to be, oh my God, my lineage, what existed before me? What's happening? How did I get, you know, it's like what you're going through there and sharing. And I think now, and then you move to, oh, you move on these other stages. And I, I think that's, thank you for sharing that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I feel like it goes right into Ra's book since you just brought her up about because you can stay in that shame or guilt phase or actually find out what her book's called The Calling and like really dive into what your true purpose is, right? And then you can go and shine your light. Right. And to help, you know, the world heal Which in that contributes
0: way. To, to the collective. Yeah. Uh, Valerie Carr, who's going to come on the podcast, she wrote a brand new book called See No Stranger, which is about a memoir of revolutionary love. She's an incredible social justice activist. Activist Is
1: that a word? Activist? Yeah, activist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're asking me. I'm, what I'm happened sure. there? That yep, was like my brain is. just
0: had <laughs> a total brain fart. Anyway, she talks about the moment that we're in, in a birth metaphor. And she talks about the rebirthing of America mm-hmm. and that every one of us has a role on the birthing team. Yep. And so that moment where I stood with Oprah and realized like, my role on the birth team is not to give everything up and suffer my role is to contribute mm-hmm. it was huge
1: it's amazing
0: so here we are showing I, up
1: i would say just to i'll this is my last thing i'll contribute to today's episode but like when we're not doing this work that we are being called to do at this moment in time we're keeping ourselves small so we might think we're keeping ourselves safe because a lot of times to be like oh everything's safe i i like all people And when we, uh, it's keeping ourselves small in this journey, that's holding us back from what, as Ra's book that's sitting in front of us, like what is our true calling, our true healing that needs to happen in this world. And that's something I've just realized that's been very clear over, especially the last couple of months for myself. But it, it is a thing where it's as we are tearing down other, like we're tearing other people down in a way, but we're also hurting ourselves. You know, is that make, Let me rephrase that. So, like, the police is a good example. By the police not doing the proper training, they're hurting themselves. They're hurting black men, unarmed humans. In the George Floyd case, this man lost his life. They hurt George Floyd, but it also hurt the entire police force. And so on an individual level, when we look at it to say, how am I going to fix if I'm a cop and I'm like, how am I going to fix the entire police force of New York? Like that's a huge global scale where it's like, well, right now we have to start with ourselves and for Mike to start with Mike to be like, what is my privilege? What did I grow up with? Recognizing a lot of the things we talked about today. And I think
0: it is to start there, but it's also to be aware of the other three yes, elements, right? 100%. So it's not a one at a time thing. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do my own work on my internalized stuff. And I'm also going to speak up if someone says something racist near right. me. I am also going to vote in representatives and judges who stand up for you know, equality and laws. And then I'm also going to talk to my employer about the inequality in our work system, right? Like all of them at the same time. But I think you're so right. The internalized one is the one we most often skip because Mm -hmm. we really want it to be outside of us, but it's really actually inside. right? And also, yeah, like when we don't step up, not only do we keep ourselves small, but that actually is harming humanity, right? So me thinking, let me just give up everything that's going to help. This does not help. That doesn't help anybody else. Doesn't help me, doesn't help anybody else. So there you go.
1: You look beautiful today. Thanks,
0: honey. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. We would love to know your thoughts on this episode. What are you grappling with? What kind of work are you doing around this? What kind of healing are you engaged in? Who are you learning from? What are you listening to? Who are you reading books written by? We want to know. So you can go ahead and please screenshot the episode, share it on your social media, share this with your friends who you think would resonate. Definitely check out Milagros Phillips. Definitely check out Anasa Troutman. Definitely check out Ra Goddess. I mean, so many incredible speakers and healers and and teachers. And subscribe, leave a review. And if you want to send us a DM and let us know your reflections on the episode, feel free to do that as well. We love you. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. I get DMs every day from people saying, when is the do less planner, the physical version going to be available again? And I'm so happy to say really, really soon. So all you need to do to get on the wait list for the do less planner for when it's going to ship very soon is go to katenorthup.com forward slash planner, get yourself on the wait list and you will be the first to hear when they are in the warehouse ready to ship to you. We only have a limited quantity, so get on the wait list, get your name on there, and when you get the email that they're ready, make sure you place your order, because we will sell out again. KateNorthrup.com forward slash planner.